0: I mean, we've done a lot of we've work. Had, oh yeah, we definitely <laughs> had a lot of work. <laughs> but hey, welcome to Browza Collab. Because this is like our first official collab. How exciting. And uh, I know that <laughs> we've never done it before. Let's, let's get together. Yeah. Like like Fast and Furious is <laughs> all about the family. <laughs> oh. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh. Fast night is coming. Just get ready for it. <laughs> but joining us is someone very a friend of the show especially on instagram oh yeah she loves my memes we talk all the time Mm -hmm. it is ashley and do you want to just introduce yourself in the show
1: yeah i host a show with my partner bianca it's called let's get dark it was called creep it real a few months ago but it got it got changed and we just talk about anything from true crime to paranormal a lot of weird stuff talk about like I like to talk about corruption, like police corruption a lot. That's one of my, my favorite picks. But I just like to cover those types of topic, topics. I'm sorry. I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm a little nervous no, right fine. now. Okay, so.
0: No, we love to hear it. Yeah. And so we, we've we been talking for a little bit about doing collabs. Yeah. And we're both like busy as hell. Yes. We finally <laughs> pinned down the actual time to do it. We did. And doing a true crime iceberg. So now I'll explain what the iceberg is. Much like me, it's uh, small at the top and then it gets wider at the bottom. <laughs> Ooh, yes. I didn't notice Andre. I've known you You're a while now. Shape. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. You never noticed my uh, birthing <laughs> hips. Oh my. Never mentioned it before. <laughs> you got them Pixar mom hips. <laughs> yeah. No. I got. Yeah. I got them ghetto waitress hips. You're not showing I'm going knock over your coffee table. <laughs> but yeah. So we're gonna split out light and get darker as we go do down. Sure. But so, uh, Ashley. Yeah. this
2: it, Titanic this shit. Wait, uh
3: Andre, uh what's the name of the show again?
2: Damn it. God damn. It. <laughs> I was going to say something but I forgot as he started talking. No, it's okay. Robert. Yeah,
0: it's bro's a of murder. <laughs> <laughs>
3: iceberg is it deeper like as you get deeper in the iceberg is it like less well known or is yes. it like just darker le- le-
0: yeah less well known darker yeah
1: yeah you, you guys get some stuff i haven't even heard of before i
0: was gonna say yeah the the case that i researched for was uh very cool very yeah interesting. I, didn't, I didn't hear about mine either and i was like oh this is <laughs> this is a lot <laughs> that was dark <laughs>
1: Uh, to be honest, though, I hadn't—I honestly hadn't really looked into a couple of the ones that I covered. So I, I'm starting with the Grime Sisters, who I don't know if any of y'all had ever heard of them, but I hadn't. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, well, I guess prepare yourselves for their tale in December Of 1956 in Chicago, there were two sisters, Barbara and Patricia. They were 15 and 12. They went to the Brighton Park Theater around 7.30 p.m. to see an Elvis Presley movie, Love Me Tender. And they were pretty obsessed with Elvis at the time. That was their 11th viewing of the movie. And they were just, they went and stayed at that movie for the second viewing. So that made 12... Total viewings of Love Me Tender for these
0: girls. It, it was it was them hypnotic
1: hips. It had very tender. It in the circle. Like. It was crazy. I thought, you know, I saw I think Titanic embarrassingly enough. Whenever I was in like seventh grade, I think I saw it seven times. And that's a I long thought, movie too. <laughs> that's excessive. My younger <laughs> sister
2: watched that movie a lot.
1: I don't know why it is that I did that, but I guess I mo-
4: I wasn't alone. That one scene on the VHS is just, like, wiped out because it's been rewound so many times. <laughs> I don't know what scene you're talking
1: the about. The hand <laughs> grasping the glass. Oh, that was that was perfect, yes. Oh, gosh. Um, anyway, so they lived about a mile and a half away from this theater in McKinley Park with their mother, who was divorced, and their two brothers, two sisters. It was past midnight. They never came home. And they were, like, super obedient, studious, the... They did whatever they said. So they told their mom, we're going to be home by midnight, and they didn't show up. By 2 a.m., She called her, Loretta, their mom, called the cops and reported them missing. But as we've seen and heard in a lot of missing persons cases, the cops initially thought that the girls had just run away and they didn't take her request for an investigation seriously. So they had actually come up with this idea, the police, that the girls were so obsessed with Elvis that they ran away. After their 12th viewing of the movie, they were just like so overcome with like hysteria that they ran away to find Elvis. And that's where they were. So they didn't wanna really look into their disappearance at all. It was like weeks that they didn't that they didn't look into it. Cause they were like, these girls just went off to find Elvis, you know. Typical police work, I guess, but not great. Yeah.
3: If we're looking for most likely scenario, <laughs> it's clearly that.
1: Yeah. I've heard some pretty we're shitty on a ideas a but that,
3: <laughs> Especially coming from a group of people that like regularly interacts with like murderers and like criminals and know they're around. Right.
1: Yeah. And the girls were going to be walking you know, walking home a mile and a half at, at midnight, so it was very likely that something could have happened to them. But uh, Elvis himself made a televised plea for the girls to return home on uh, January 19th, saying, If you're a good Presley fan, you'll go home and ease your mother's worries, which I just think is kind of a testament to what a bloviating... Nicole. <laughs> <Sorry>. Yeah, elvis. <laughs> elvis was i was just kind of like okay you know elvis the... thank you
0: elvis thank <laughs> you so much
1: What? A, he's just you know we we know elvis like appropriated all his moves and music from all other cultures and then everybody else is here you know saying he's so great so a little annoying. Uh, at, way after way too long, the police eventually realized the girls had actually been abducted and didn't just run away to find Elvis. And then the investigation began to be taken more seriously. There were multiple different sightings of the girls supposedly sightings of the girls in the days and weeks after their disappearance but at the theater the night they disappeared a girl from their school who actually knew them and was friends with them said that she saw them by popcorn in the sessions in between the first and second showings so they definitely were there and they definitely did see the movie but after that there was just teenagers that said that they saw them uh getting into a mercury automobile with a young man that looked strikingly like elvis uh another i know the elvis thing just really over. Took this whole case. It was bizarre. <laughs> Someone else said that they were saw them boarding a bus heading to Chicago after the movie finished. A bus driver said that he dropped them off halfway between the theater and their home around eleven. There were just tons of sightings everywhere, and I, I've seen that you know in missing persons cases where everybody sees people all the time. They're always getting reports.
0: Yeah, because it. We- People look like other people yeah. other times, too. So. Exactly.
1: Everybody has a few people that look. So all that said, they began canvassing door to door. They distributed flyers. They searched canals and rivers, and the Grimes uh, local church put up a reward for them. for any information regarding anyone finding them or what happened to them. They questioned over three thousand, three hundred thousand people. two thousand were interrogated, and the case pretty much spiraled out of control. And the trail ran cold. And then about one month later, a man named Leonard Prescott was driving down German Church Road, it was about 16 miles from the Grimes' home, when he noticed something odd that he believed was mannequins just along the barrier at Devil's Creek that he was driving along. And as he continued driving home, he was like, well, maybe those weren't mannequins. And he turned around, went back, and it was actually Barbara and Patricia's bodies laying in the snow. It was terrible. They were naked and frozen and had been out there for a while because their bodies were so stiff that they had to allow them to thaw for like 24 hours before they could even perform any kind of autopsy on them. Uh, Barbara had blunt force trauma to her head and face and puncture wounds all over her body. She... Well, they believed that she had had intercourse around the time of her death, which obviously was likely assault. Patricia had bruises all over her face and body. Neither of the girls had any drugs or alcohol or poisons in their system. And they actually had the stomach contents of the dinner that they'd eaten the night they disappeared in their stomach still. So it was pretty I think that that kind of leads the investigators to believe that they died about within like five hours or so of yeah when they went missing when they were missing but the coroner could not agree with that opinion there was like two different ones that were kind of fighting about what had happened and one of them said that he thought that they were kept alive until at least January 7th um, and then that they were left on the side of the creek whenever they were still alive because he thought that the thin layer of ice on their bodies indicated that they were still warm. But I also don't know how you can think that when the food in their stomach was from <laughs> so yeah. far. It was like, you know, at least two weeks earlier. So I don't know how that would have still been in their stomach if they had still been alive, obviously. Uh, there were multiple theories. One was that a security guard told the police that he gave the girls directions to a friend's house that night and had seen them on the 29th which meant that they were still alive there was another guy a restaurant owner he said that he saw the two girls with an employee of his named Benny Bedwell who ended up being the main suspect for the girls murders he said that he saw him helping Patricia walk because she was staggering and a clerk at a hotel then said that she saw the two girls try to rent a room that night there were like there were just so many different people trying to say that they saw Probably these girls. Dead. It's just crazy. Um, the So anyway, the coroner, a, a, a different coroner, said that he believed that the girls were lying near Devil's Creek for weeks, dead, obviously, from the time that they were there due to snowfall covering their bodies. The girls were... Kept their bodies were kept and preserved in a good condition. The snowfall started January 9th and had only started to melt a few days before they were discovered. So he believed that they were likely killed immediately after the after they were found or abducted the night that they were went missing, and they were stored elsewhere before that. And then they were left at the roadside once it started snowing. Whatever theories that anyone had, the girl's cause of death would eventually just be listed as murder and secondary shock. So that Benny Bedwell, he was a 21-year-old drifter who worked odd jobs in the Chicago area. He was the one that worked at the restaurant, and his boss had said he had seen him with Patricia and hit her sister, and he was arrested and interrogated for three days. He was eventually charged with the murders, where he signed a 14-page confession claiming that he and a man named William Cole Willingham had been in the company of the sisters up until January 7th. He said that they fed the girls hot dogs and then beat them to death, leaving their bodies on the side of the road, which obviously doesn't really fit with any of the actual evidence that was there yeah
0: they didn't buy um, like a mm-hmm. bunch of franks,
3: <laughs>
1: of franks <laughs> no, like, what? They, they didn't yeah.
3: but you know after three days of being interrogated you'll sign exactly
1: you know, they, uh, yeah exactly. He would later recant his confession, saying that he'd been held for three days. He told he was yeah, exactly not. I'm sure he wasn't fed or wasn't allowed to sleep, and he was told that if he confessed, they'd let him go. Additionally, his other employer at the time, Ajax Consolidated Company, said that he was at work when the girls were abducted and had been at work every day since, so it wasn't like anything in his schedule had changed. Uh, there was gotta love that police work. <laughs> you, it's really great. what this, this story is really of. A, a, Exemplified police. Uh, I, I, I honestly can't talk to you guys today. I'm like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, anyway, the, there is another suspect named Walter Kranz, who was a steam fitter and a self declared psychic. He called the police complaint line and told them that the sisters were dead and their bodies would be found in Lyons Township at, around the beginning of January. He refused to give his name, but they traced his call because he was a genius. And he that that said he was he was fairly accurate. They were found only a mile away from where he said they were going to be found, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he did anything. Um, he was also su- suspected to be a person who sent Loretta Grimes a ransom note, which was confirmed by handwriting experts, and he would later be released without charge. He, oh God! So, so he was just kind of a scammer, obviously. This fucking guy. I know. Uh, there's always somebody like that around. There was another guy who was. Who, who was a 17 year old who he at the time was thought too young to legally undergo a polygraph test. And Oh, actually he was legally uh, too young to undergo a polygraph test in Illinois. And everybody thought because he was 17, like he was not, he shouldn't be thought of as a suspect. His name was Max Fleeg and, um, captain Ralph, The convinced Fleek to take one anyway, a lie detector test, even though it wasn't legal, and he would go on to confess to the murders during that test, but because the test wasn't legal, he wouldn't be charged and he was released due to lack of evidence. He would later be jailed for the murder of another woman, so it is very possible that he was the culprit in the murders of the two sisters. Um, in more recent years, cold case detectives have pinpointed another possible suspect, which was this man Charles Melquist, who was a confessed child killer responsible for the murder of Bonnie Lee Scott in 1957, which is another famous case. Uh, it was the same year that Loretta Grimes received a call from a man claiming to be the one who undressed the— the girls saying one of them had deformed toes that crossed over each other, which was a fact that had not been made known to the public. So that was one of those instances where somebody has some information that, um, doesn't, was never made known. And so I guess, you know, it's possible that this Charles Melquist was the one that called Loretta Grimes and he had that information about the girls that nobody else knew. Um the night that Bonnie Lee Scott's body was murdered so it was kind of around the same time as the girls Loretta's Loretta, their mother, received another call stating he got away with another one and that the police wouldn't be able to pin it on him. And then Bonnie's body was discovered less than a mile from where the Grimes sisters had been discovered. So it is definitely possible this guy was being a creepy killer, you know, calling yeah. the mom and saying weird stuff. And he would only end up serving eight years of his 99-year sentence before he died. And there's a retired detective, Ray Johnson, that believes that Melquist killed the Grimes sisters, but also had an accomplice, as you might suspect, because it would be a little bit difficult I would think to abduct two girls without with just you on your own unless maybe you just overpower them and hit them in the head immediately. I don't know how else you would... Yeah. I don't know. But it's possible, very possible, that he had a, a accomplice. Um, Johnson also believes that Milquist had ties to the top... The, the top. <laughs> See? Okay. He had ties to the mob as, <laughs> as well as investigators that were working the Grimes case. And to this day, that the official case remains unsolved and open. So never but
3: which of all of these suspects looks the most like
0: elvis <laughs> that's yeah. what i was about to say <laughs> i don't know maybe that 17 year old is looking a little bit
1: like elvis yeah for sure
0: or it could have just been it could have just been elvis guys
1: for could've sure Elvis.
2: <laughs> when i think about elvis i think of just johnny bravo yeah
1: well didn't elvis marry priscilla presley when she was like 14 or 15 or something mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. She
0: was he was like, a, yeah, yeah. He was a creep, like sixteen yeah. or
1: something. So maybe it was Elvis, and, and like when it comes down to a great thought, I never <laughs> even really, I never even really thought that that could be a viable option here. But I, I, I
0: never happy. trusted him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't.
3: But if anyway. that ends up being the case, I will issue a formal apology to the police who theorized
0: they went after Elvis. <laughs> <laughs>
4: That's true. <laughs> oh
1: goodness. But so, God, that
0: was. That was interesting. I didn't <laughs> I never okay. heard about
1: that. I hadn't either. Yeah. You know. My case is like really
2: weird because you put that up there. You're just like, "Yeah, you should look into this." I'm like, "Why do I want to look into this mystery room of four, 10 1046?" And I'm glad that I did. It's a mystery room for <laughs> sure. So, January 1930 in January 1935, a man named Roland T. Owen checked into What was his name? A hotel called Roland T. Owen. Oh, r- Roland. I like that name. Roland T. Owen. So, you like o- the name Roland well, the, the way or of
0: Roland, T. Yes. Roland T. Owen? <laughs> Ro- Roland T. Owen. Like that's...
3: <laughs> yeah. If if I read that character's name in a book, I'm like, oh,
2: you're about to die. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, guess what? Uh-oh. It's the nail on the head. But yeah, so in January 1935, he checks into this hotel called President's Hotel in Kansas City. It may be crazy, but then maybe not. But he did check in without any type of luggage. But not maybe. Well, well, he had a toothbrush. Toothbrush and a comb. It was in the in in the thirties, so yeah, he probably had like slicked back hair. He's probably a greaser. But um, notice I like, changed the accent up a little bit. I don't even know if that's right, but it happened. Right. Yeah, I've been practicing. So he had no luggage besides a comb and a toothbrush. So, uh, (laughs) I guess maybe he was like, but you know how like they had the meetups and stuff with like Craigslist. Maybe it was like the old timey Craigslist. He just posted. Yeah, it's called called Marty's List. The the local news. I mean, that's not a crazy
3: like stretch. Like honestly, the two things you would bring to a hookup. In the... What what time of... Wait, it was by the hour? <laughs> what was the year?
0: A comb? Yeah, you're bringing, you're bringing a comb and a toothbrush. No, is that no condom.
1: No sheepskin
0: condom. No. Well, <laughs> see, that's what the toothbrush is for. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Kelly's just like, oh my gosh, you guys. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, a day after he checks in, some st- strange things started to happen, and... What I'm about to tell you is the account of the housekeeping, the woman that was the housekeeper. So the housekeeper Mary, she did what she was supposed to do, right? She goes in and cleans his room where she wanted to. And she went in around the time that most people would go in for house cleaning, which is the checkout time between eleven and noon. And I think they do this, or I think they go and check because this is usually the time that people are not necessarily in their rooms, but Roland was in his room, and he locked the door from the inside, so he had probably the little jam thing, and she was trying to open it after she knocked on it, and she knocks, and Roland eventually answers the door. (laughs) She told him that she, he, she could come back later, but he was just like, yeah, you could just come in and, co- like and clean. <laughs> and so she... No, no, it, it gets weirder. So with some reluctance, she enters the room and she starts to clean it. What she notices is that the room was completely dark and empty, and the only thing that was on was just the dim table lamp. So I assume... I assume that he maybe had a migraine, okay? I'm trying to rule out, okay, maybe this guy's not weird or not shady things going on. I just assume, oh, he probably had a migraine.
1: I think he's probably weird. I don't think migraine... Maybe. (laughs) I don't think migraines were
2: invented in the (laughs) (laughs) third.
0: You you got ghosts in your brain, kid.
4: (laughs) (laughs) and done.
3: Take two
2: leeches and call me in the morning. Take this toothbrush. So, as she was cleaning, they did have a small, awkward conversation where Roland said that he had friends go- friends that were going to come by, and he told her explicitly, do not lock the door on your way out. So Mary was like, all right, bet, I'm not going to lock the door, guy. <laughs> That's exactly
4: what she said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: probably. <laughs> so, some hours later... After Mary has cleaned the room, she goes back to deliver towels because back then they didn't just have, I'm assuming, towels that they just brought when they cleaned them. So they would take the room's towels, clean them, and then bring them back. So she notices that the door was still unlocked so she just walks into the room and finds Roland laying on top of his bed that was completely made still and he was fully dressed. And she said that it seemed like he was asleep. Oh, Mary. She did also witness... (laughs) Bless her heart, as they say in the South. But, so she did witness that there was a letter on the table next to the bed, and it said, Don, I'll be back in 15 minutes. Wait. That's all it said. But that's the end of this part, however. And it continues to get strange, because the next day she goes back to do her rounds again, but this time the door was locked, but from the outside, which is expected, right? And according to that, what happens is she opens the door with the master key. She's like, let me go and see what's happening. And Roland was actually sitting, this is after she knocked on the door, but he was in the room as she was knocking on the door. He was in the room sitting in the corner, but the room was completely oh, dark.
1: That's Blair Witch Project, yeah. <laughs> <So, laughs> right? <It's a> <laughs> like
2: He's just sitting there, and so he, she's just like, okay, I'll do my job, and I'll, I'll clean. So she's, like, cleaning, and it's in silence. Like, he doesn't say anything to her. He's sitting in the corner <laughs> as she's cleaning. Eventually, <laughs> right? Mary's just trying to get, and, like, Mary's trying to do her You're job. She has people to feed, right? So eventually the phone rings and he answers it. And she said that the exchange on the phone was pretty much him saying that he didn't want to eat. Okay, maybe not weird. Maybe he's just a weird person. Maybe he... I don't know. I'm weird. (laughs) So, yeah. So some time goes by and she leaves again and eventually brings back some more towels. a lot of
4: towels. And when she towels. gets... To- <laughs> like,
2: bro, what towels. are you doing with these towels? Like, So, when she gets to the door, she realizes that there are two voices in the room this time, and she lets them know. Like, she knocks and says, Hey, I have towels. And they're just like, We have enough towels. You're good. Go away, toots.
1: And, um- <laughs>
2: yeah... Here's the thing, though. She knows that she removed all the towels from the room that morning, so Mary was just like, fuck it, and leaves them alone. So the same day that she heard two people in the room, a couple of more guests checked into that hotel. One was a woman who just came to visit her boyfriend and left the next day, and she stated when, when she was inter- interrogated because something happened, she heard a lot of commotion, and the commotion was women and men talking loudly and cussing. She didn't want to let the front, desk, the front desk staff know, though, which I don't blame her because it's none of my business. Like, if you want to shout and scream, bet. Go ahead and shout and scream. I'm not going to say anything. Like, that's not right. <laughs> that would be Melinda. She'd, like, open the blind, like, what's happening? Like, can you go away? Like, I can never tell you anything. Like, leave these people alone. So, the other woman that was there was looking for a man in the room that was supposed to be staying in the hotel, but she wasn't able to find the person she was looking for, so she eventually left. They were just two people that seemed suspicious, but nothing was ever found against them. Like, nothing ever came of those two people, but that was just a note that was part of the evidence that, like, these two random people came in and was just, like, kind of sus, but not sus enough to be prosecuted or anything like that. So fast forward a little bit to the next morning where there's this bellhop that got a call from the telephone operator because at the time you had to go through an operator before you could get put onto, like, you know whoever you're trying to call and the telephone operator at the hotel was saying that the room that Roland was staying in has been off the hook for about 10 minutes and no one was using it so the bellhop goes to Roland's room and notices that there's the do not disturb sign on the door and the bellhop knocks on the door and yells at him to hang up the phone because it was off the hook and he was just like okay he probably got (laughs) the message however there was no response right so about two hours later the telephone operator called again and was like yo go check on that room because the phone is still off the hook so now the bellhop was like okay because i had this complaint twice this complaint twice i'm gonna like just open it with the master key so he opens (laughs) it's not funny sorry he opens the room his room roland's room with the with the master key and goes in and he notices that Roland was laying naked on the bed and he assumed, yo, this man had an awesome night. He's completely wasted. So he nicely and neatly puts the phone back on the hook and locks the door behind him and leaves. And of course, he goes to the manager and just lets him know like, yeah, this dude was like kind of messed up. He's like drunk or something. So, an hour goes by and the phone <laughs> No, there's no tells Yeah, no. Yeah, the hour an hour goes by again. The phone was off the hook again. When and the bellhop goes back up and the bellhop, when he goes into the room, he find he finds blood everywhere. He said that Roland was sitting in the corner, in the the corner of the room, curled up with his heads and his head and his hands, with multiple stab wounds like all over his body, like he was just covered up with just. Looking gross, right? But everything was covered in blood. Everything from the towels that Mary nicely cleaned multiple times while he stayed there to the walls, the sheets, everything was splattered with blood. So, of course, the police gets called. They come down and they took him to the hospital, because I think at this point he was still alive. And it was found that Roland was tortured by whomever he was tortured by, and that he had cords wrapped around his arms and his legs and his neck. And, again, he had multiple stab wounds. He also had a fractured skull, and his lungs were punctured by one of the stab wounds. And eventually he died. Apparently, the autopsy report said that they were able to conclude that some of the injuries were done before the bellhop actually... Went up to the room the first time, but because the room was so dark, which, which is why I presume that like the bellhop didn't realize oh, oh, that that this is had so happened. Creepy. Yeah.
0: Gonna chill and he's sitting like, there yeah. naked.
2: Like you're not gonna like stare at him
3: super hard. Yeah. you gonna be like, oh shit, my bad. I'm just like Ooh, doing the phone. But, but
4: also like, in <laughs> in the dark. if there's that much blood spatter, it had to have gotten on the person who did it. And how come they no- like no one ever noticed this person leave? They might you know? they didn't have
3: towels to clean it up.
4: Exactly. So I don't think <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> oh, <fuck.
2: laughs> Well, they also said the reason why they thought the, the hook was off the phone so many times was because that as he would pick up the phone, he would pass out due to like the pain or like the injuries that he had. So like it's yeah, so they said that he probably was picking up the phone and passing out with the phone, like dropping the phone each time. And During the crime scene investigation, they also realized that there were no clothes in the room. There was no toothpaste, there was no shampoo, there was nothing in the room. Everything was gone, like as far as his personal effects. According to a website called, that's interesting, all that's interesting, the only thing found in there were four fingerprints on the telephone, however, they were never identified. They also found out that Roland T. Owen never existed. that name was too perfect. So he was Uh using... Yeah, he was using a name, like a pseudonym. Like, he wasn't using his real name. And another crazy thing is, is that the reason he was staying at the hotel where he was murdered is murdered at was because he was at a neighboring hotel that had super high prices, and what's even more crazy was that after Roland died, the neighboring hotel came out and was like, yeah, some man stayed here a few days um, under the name Eugene K. Scott, and that person also never existed like ever so like in the 30s no one was named Eugene or no one was named Roland <laughs> I'm just kidding but yeah, no one Eugene had that unique name so. Out. <laughs> so yeah so later people came forward and they were like yeah I know this person This there's this person who's with a woman or, 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 the, or a woman named with the last name Ogletree and she claimed that her son named Artemis Ogletree Ooh, went name. missing
1: yeah <laughs> and
2: all the yeah. Artemis when I hear the name Artemis yes. I think of it's always sunny uh, in Philadelphia mean? and Artemis like, on, on there it. she's like one of the first things she said she's like my she name's die. Artemis and I'm
1: like a bleached <laughs> asshole <laughs> so. that who pooped the bed episode where does the whole investigation
2: right yes <laughs> like and it was just completely ridiculous yes Artemis is one of my favorite characters but, so there was no evidence on whether or not Artemis or Roland or Eugene was really her son, but they had no leads, so eventually they are just like, okay, Artemis is your son, we'll lay him to rest, but... That's all that ever came of it, nothing else, and they don't really, there was, it's a closed case, however, every year the Kansas Police Department actually opens up the case to try to revisit it and try to look at new evidence or evidence as everything unfolds. And that is the story, or the mystery, behind Room wow. 1046. Ooh. The crazy thing to me
0: is, like, thinking that. first off, it sounds like a horrible story. Like, someone's at a bar, like, hey, Mary, what happened to you last night? And she's like, man. <laughs> 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 but just the fact that, like, I'm thinking of the bellhop coming into the room, while he's naked. like, in the corner, in the dark. It's just like the dude. Hit the whole like, Please don't right. say me. Please don't
1: say me. Please don't say me. Ugh. The whole time, like maybe maybe they were there when Mary was coming in. That, the whole yeah. time, oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. That's one of my biggest fears: is that someone's just like lurking somewhere, and you just have no idea. <laughs> no, there, there was really. like
3: sixteen times in that story that I thought you were about to tell us he was dead.
1: Me too. Me too. <laughs>
3: like the first time they come in, and he was
0: just no. on top yeah. of the cover. Yeah, some I was say he was dead like in all of his clothes. Yeah. yeah,
2: he was just chilling. This man was chilling a lot. He's just like whatever's gonna happen's gonna happen. Like, I'm going to make this weird. Let's get weird like. Wow.
0: No, that was Well, and like I don't
3: I don't think he was on the run or anything cuz he didn't have bags.
2: That's a crazy thing too cuz there wasn't really because he was using like a pseudonym, there wasn't really a way to understand like what was he doing? If he was running from someone, or if he was running to someone, or if he had problems with the mob, because maybe the mob was a thing back then or some shit. Like he owed
0: someone some money. I don't know. Like went there to like set up a payment arrangement or whatever, and they just said, you know, we're gonna
2: And someone's Tommy gun was ready to go off, was ready to (laughs) start (laughs) blasting.
0: Stop blasting. But uh so let's go on to Robert. Let's just dig deeper into this iceberg. It's been good so far.
3: Uh, so, not the 1930s, we are now in 2014, December 12th, and we are in Economy, Pennsylvania. A teenager, uh, going, riding their bike, uh, they find a human head. Oh. Oh. Just off the, in a rural section of Pennsylvania, a little bit off the road, they find a the head of a woman. Uh, and they just call 911, and they calmly say, I found a human head. And then the cops show up and they're like, that's that's a whole-ass human head? <laughs> You're right on the money with that one, kid. No body, no blood. Ooh. Just chilling off in a rural road, a human head. But it gets a little bit weirder because the head is entirely embalmed and well-preserved. And it was done with surgical precision. It was described more as a, a dissection oh. than a... Mutilation.
4: Aliens. Makes me think of <laughs> Futurama.
2: <laughs> 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 right?
3: So as they, like, continue to police work the head more, uh, they find that underneath the eyelids, they have eye caps. So it's a tool that morticians use that has kind of, like, little spikes that come up into the eyelid to keep the eyes closed. Oh. If you, like, are laying someone to rest... So their like eyes don't look weird and keeps them closed. I never knew about uh, that. Makes sense. But underneath the eye caps are red rubber balls.
0: That makes less sense.
3: <laughs> what? <laughs> and they like interviewed a bunch of morticians and stuff. Um, and this guy they interviewed, uh, Kevin Morin, who was from the American Academy, McAllister Institute of F- Funeral Service from New York. He said that they are not used in either the funeral pr- profession or in organ donor networks. Nobody puts red rubber balls in the eyes. Morticians put eye caps on the eyeballs. They would never remove the eyes. There's no reason for them to do that. That's just like you know mutilating a corpse. And they, there's nothing unique about the rubber balls. They had like a, a made in China like stamp on them, but that's all they had to go on. There wasn't like a company name or a cereal or anything. Were they kids' toys or um, something? So, one of the people they interviewed described them as something you might find in like a ball and jack set. Um,
0: so, like one of those little like quarter machine balls. Bro. Yeah.
3: Right. So, a totally nondescript rubber ball that no mortician or uh, organ donor network would use, but was done by a professional. Uh, so. Then people started talking about like, okay, so maybe this was an organ donor or a body broker, um, which I recently learned are two different things.
0: Can you um, explain what body broker?
3: So, is? so uh, s- have you
2: ever seen Repo? <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> Wait,
3: what? So an organization that handles organ donation are typically done like through hospitals and you know, like surgical. So an iBank bank for or an organ procurement organization. Only removes, typically nowadays, only the cornea from the eye. They don't take out the whole eye. And they also then dispose of the head uh, because, you know, they just need the cornea. There's nothing else valuable in there. Like, you can't take any parts of the brain or, like, teeth. But, so body brokers are not medical professionals. They just buy and sell body parts. Um, And uh, the cops were in the interview I watched they were talking about like yeah I thought this was going to be like a really cut and dry case of like yeah it has to be like an organ donation place or like you know da 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 but we found out tons of people buy body parts and our suspect list just kept going and going because apparently the the military buys bodies uh, OSHA buys bodies and it's to like test with them and like
0: Uh, oh okay mm. so this so the the army also buys like like, stuff like live goats for that reason too yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: Um, so, I'll, do you want to ballpark how much a human head costs? Okay, well... $50,000. You said 50000 $10,000. $8,000. 8, i am
0: going
3: to go 15000 Okay, so this is a direct quote from a Reuters article that was about this case. Uh, a broker in Tennessee with no ties to the case, James Byrd, already had sold the news agency a cervical spine a few months earlier. Uh, Byrd informed Reuters... Uh, that he could also supply human heads for about three hundred dollars each.
2: Oh, wow! <laughs> Shut the fuck. up. <laughs> <What> the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> three hundred.
3: That's
0: it.
3: <laughs> yeah, three hundred cash. You get it in the mail. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> well, but yeah, that's a ballpark. You know. <laughs> you want, you want, want three hundred? You want no face or a face? Uh, Two fifty. <laughs> it's missing the lower jaw. Uh oh. That's cool. I'm so my head. The, the only thing about it being a body broker is, again, the tissue is totally damaged because it was embalmed. So you can't really get anything value from the tissue. Uh, the eyes aren't removed in a way that you would typically associate with organ donation. Um, and because of the embalming process, they can't really DNA test the f- tissue uh, because of all the like chemicals that are now in the body. Um, so, pieces of information that they have been able to glean about who this person was. Um, she was most likely 50 years old, or around that age range. She most likely died of cardiac arrest, or some similar uh, issue. Let's see. I how they
4: figure that out without the rest of the body. Good right. Question.
3: So, toxicology tests suggest that the woman may have suffered from chronic pain, and that paramedics tried to resuscitate her around the time of her death. Um, so so
0: have, like some I, mag- I,
3: ad- Yeah so the, the toxicology they were able to do <laughs> oh. They
0: Facebook were able Facebook.
3: So the <laughs> uh, <Facebook. laughs> uh, Cool science I didn't know existed is they did An analysis of the isotopes On the teeth and hair um, So using that They were able to do a toxicology mm. They examined isotopes From oxygen molecules that remained in the women's t- Woman's teeth and hair They also did that to kind of determine where she may have spent her last months based on, like, the food and water and things she was, you know, drinking. And that indicated a pretty big range in Pennsylvania all the way down to West Virginia. So she was most likely from that general area, that couple of states. Um, They have done a, a 3D cast, not cast, but a sculpture of the head. Uh, and they're still searching. They have no idea who this woman is. They put her photos everywhere and like are trying to get people to identify her. But we don't know, and we don't know who did what with her head, and what led that person to leave the head in the, a rural community in Pennsylvania.
0: Why, why did Chuck it, bro? Yeah.
2: And why was it only three hundred dollars? Yeah, I feel like, and that's yeah. like I'm still confused. Like yeah. how, who if you were why?
3: <laughs> if you were doing it to get the eyes that you removed, why did you then put in rubber balls and eye caps yeah. to keep them closed? If you're just trying to keep the eyes closed, just put in the eye caps. You don't need to remove that.
1: Or why do you even care about keeping them closed if you're, gone. you're, yeah, you're just to dispose of it. yeah? If you're just gonna
3: throw. it So out. no motive, no idea. Uh, How'd you get? Maybe, like, a body broker who just, like, really likes, like, like messing with corpses. Like, maybe it's someone who, like, sold the eyes to somebody and they removed the cornea. And he's like, well, I'll keep the head. I'm not going to just throw away the head. (laughs) And his wife was like, Frank, get rid of the head. (laughs) And maybe he's just really into taxidermy. And then, yeah, they were on a road trip through Economy, Pennsylvania, and they hit a bump, popped out the window.
0: Hate to see it, Kelly, your uh, you're hands yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the balls okay, so were like,
2: rolling. Kelly, what happened?
4: We don't know anything, but like, my thinking is like, <laughs> she was embalmed when she died, so they had to have taken the eyes from her after she was embalmed. You can't really do anything with embalmed eyes, like, if you're gonna test on it or something, yeah, unless right? you just have a sexual Ooh. fetish with eyeballs, yeah,
1: yeah, I, that's true. I mean, who knows? Can't rule that out.
4: I guess I don't know what the brokers you know supply to, but
1: that's kind of frightening, to be honest with you, that there are body brokers. Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Who's a weird job? Who's who's who's, who's the ones like regulating body brokers?
1: Exactly.
3: (laughs) No, No one. No. and like it's actually like a huge issue because uh I can
4: only imagine. they, they don't just store
3: like, bodies properly
4: often a new version of the grave diggers from like 200 years ago
0: 100 that's that yeah that's dark that's real dark it's <laughs> the dark the commodity market of your body after you're i just want to know who determines the prices of like body parts right <laughs> Like someone had to, like some community had to come to an agreement. Like, yeah, no, three hundred for a head—that's reasonable. Yeah, our guy James.
2: (laughs) Is it per pound? Three hundred for a head. So much per pound.
4: We're gonna go back in time, but not quite as far as the first stories. So, my story is about Charles Chuck Morgan, who went missing on March twenty second, nineteen seventy seven. The first time. Just, just remember that. Yep. What? First time <laughs> not missing. Um. He. Oh my god. I'm
1: yeah, out already. He
4: was missing for three days and then showed back up at his home, um, claiming to have been tortured. He was completely disheveled, had like, uh, handcuffs and on his wrists and ankles, and couldn't talk, and claimed that a hallucinogenic drug was painted on his throat. So like. He had to like wash it off or whatever a specific way, or it would kill him. Okay, um, following. <laughs> Yeah, so he had to write notes to his wife when he first got home, and basically tell her that she couldn't call the police, because if she called the police, it would be a death sentence for their entire family. He was a father of four, so just, you know. And um, yeah, so she nursed him back to health. He became incredibly paranoid. As I would imagine one would be After an experience like that um, Started wearing a bulletproof vest All the time Gratis facial hair Was Made sure he was the only person um, Dropping off and picking his children up from school um, And then Two months later He is kidnapped again So I guess this is about June of 1977 After about Two or three days a woman calls his home addressing specifically his wife ruth to tell her that her husband was okay and to read the bible passage ecclesiastics 12 1 through 8 which reads men are afraid of a high place of and of terrors on the road remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will, re- will return to God who gave it. <laughs>
0: That's that. <laughs> <I don't> not. <know. laughs>
4: God damn it, Bible! <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: First off, why is this dude going missing? My first like, thought was like, he oh, doing? he
3: cheated. This is a made-up story. I, I I have a theory that he was involved with MK Ultra. He was doing LSD testing with them, and he couldn't go to the
2: police because they'd killed him. <laughs> You're he very was busy close. Oh shit! Are you serious? No. <laughs>
0: wow,
2: oh, no. dude.
4: Oh, I was
2: about to say, dang. Dude, um, I was about to get
3: so psyched on this story.
4: You're not like. What?
3: He
2: logs off. Yeah. <laughs> I said he logs off. End <laughs> meaning. Rage quit.
4: Alright, so then eleven days after he goes missing, his body is found with a single gunshot wound to the head. So this is on June 18th, 1977. He is Still wearing his um, bulletproof vest, on his body he has a, a belt with a holster, a knife, and the gunshot wound was from his own uh, 357 Magnum.
0: So the shot to the head did it seem like a suicide shot, or like more like an shot? Ex-
4: so that's the thing: <sighs> that's is scary. it was ruled a suicide initially, but like, why are you gonna go out into the middle of the desert? and shoot yourself in the back of your own head while wearing all of the, like, shit. Here. Yeah, to protect yourself. Adding to the overall strangeness, which, I mean, it's already pretty fucking strange as it is, there were, like, additional objects that were found at the scene, specifically around his car. Um, not so surprisingly, it was surrounded by more weapons and ammunition, as well as a CB radio. But the items in particular that were very weird were um, one of his teeth was found wrapped in a handkerchief. One, one tooth? tooth?
2: Yep. Only one tooth?
4: Wrapped in a handkerchief on. on the ground near his vehicle. And then the other really strange like thing that they found about his case was that fastened to his underwear was a $2 bill with um last names on it and a map of the area where his body was found. What the fuck?
3: Like drawn onto the two-baller bill? Yes.
4: Drawn onto the onto the bill. So um the like kind of noted stuff that kind of gives us more context is so one he was a freemason. I don't know how much that adds to it, but you know, they're just kind of weird already. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah they like yeah. stones <laughs> Um. He He worked in escrow Which As many times this has been explained to me I still don't understand it but Like He admitted at some point that With escrow he was working With our organized crime Families So basically like the mob the mafia and all that Stuff
0: I love how so far the mob has somehow played into effect in all these
2: stories.
4: I was just thinking <laughs> that.
2: You know, it makes sense though, because like um, escrow is just,
4: money like,
2: holding, money usually uh, somewhat like yeah, someone yeah, pretty much a money holder, like a third party, someone that holds money yeah. for someone
4: else. Well, and that's the thing too, in particular um, with this like this context is that he was doing escrow, and at the time. In in Arizona, you didn't have to, like, have a record of the people you were working with in escrow for real estate. So, like, the only person who would know who the client was, was someone like Morgan, who was the agent handling the money. But he didn't have to release the, those names. Ugh. So he could work with basically whoever he wanted to.
2: yeah. See, that's why you want to let everyone know who mm-hmm. you're yeah. working with.
4: Yeah. Well, and so he also had claimed at some point to be working with the Treasury Department in an investigation beforehand. So yeah, it definitely kind of follows a trail back to the family, the crime families that he was supposedly working with. After after his death. Ruth was visited by two men claiming to be from the FBI. They completely ransacked her house and like just tossed it around as though they were looking for something. <laughs> she wasn't ever able to get their names, but there is one man in particular who was-
0: You gotta know uh, your rights, man. You gotta know yeah. your rights. Uh, get, get the yeah, fuck like, I out of it my it, house. It, who it, are
2: you? You don't get the
4: fuck Well, so there was an investigative journalist who was following this story since it happened until, like, I guess the mid-90s or early 2000s, um, named Don Devereaux. And he researched into that whole thing as far as, like, a Freedom of Information Act request from the FBI to see who who had done that to her home. And this is a quote from him. He says... When I made a Freedom of Information Act request to the FBI, they had never heard of Mr. Morgan, despite the fact that they obviously opened an investigation, despite the fact that the FBI interviewed Mr. Morgan's attorney. They were all over this thing like a blanket for a while, but now they've never heard of the guy. He never existed. No card, no file, no nothing.
0: I'm imagining his reporters like seeing like a cigarette in his hand. He's like, they know nothing. Mm-hmm.
4: They're all over it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like super aggro.
4: Yeah, and then... One other interesting note is that this story was featured on Unsolved Mysteries in February of 1990. Yeah. Should cue the music. Um, after it aired on television, a man who drove the exact same car as the the man who um, did the investigative journalistic work, who worked across the street from Mr. Devereaux, Mr. Devereaux, um was found dead in his car Mr. D,
2: you wound up dead what did you do <laughs> Sorry not no, you're good. today is just
4: but yeah so so he i guess looked similarly worked across the street had the same car as the journalist and wound up dead and so the journalist <laughs> thinks that that was very much meant for him and not that other man So
0: Wrong place, wrong yeah, reason Yeah, that's an L. <laughs>
4: oh, as well. There was another man who had who had um, contacted Don Devereaux about the case and said he had information for him. He was going to give him the information. I think it was like either late 90s or early 2000s that this happened. But before he was able to have a meeting, that man also wound up dead. And none of those murders have ever been solved. It's the FBI. It's, it's, like, it's the FBI. It's the government. Oh, yeah. for
0: it's for 100%. Sure. 100%. Mm-hmm. It's One hundred percent. Mhm. probably some NK like with the hypnotic throat <laughs> drugs. That I was going to say Oh yeah. yeah. Well,
3: and his behavior. Like, if you have any friends who like dosed way too hard, like they, act, they get weird and paranoid they act, afterwards. That
0: can sus. They and act like, like how Battlefield's like, picture looked right now <laughs> on the back, well, <laughs> in the back. all the time. Sorry. So good.
3: Uh, Yeah. No, that's A- and oh, is the FBI. Oh, yeah. oh, I love government conspiracies so much. It's the FBI. The government's the best boogeyman.
1: For sure.
0: But
3: I, I FBI agent listening, I t- totally
0: Yeah, me and you that. are cool, bro. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You've seen me th- go through some things. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I guess we'll, we're finally at the end of the iceberg with my tale. And when I was reading it over, the one I picked, I was like, why is this at the bottom? It doesn't seem like that crazy until I dug a little bit deeper <laughs> at the person who did the crimes. And how that was just insane. Oh. So I'll start into it. Now we're going to flash forward to November 10th, 1985. A hunter- and couple kids were going through the woods and they came across a 55 gallon metal drum near a burnt down store at Bear Brook State Park in Allentown, New Hampshire. They cracked open that drum like any random person would when they find a the metal drum. And inside of it was an adult female and a young girl wrapped in plastic. Both had died of blunt force trauma and no one knew it. So, around that same time when they're investigating, they like get the bodies out couldn't identify them and they buried them and on a tombstone it read here lies the mortal remains known only to God a woman of 23 to 33 and a girl 8 to 10 their bodies slain and were found with the date they were found may they rest in peace this is the starting of the weird Bear Books murders it's
4: already so, giving me Twin Peaks vibes
0: oh no it's very the exact same it's, thing, yeah. it's very Twin Peaksy. So now, a couple years go by, and on May 9th, 2000, two young girls were found near the same exact site, also in a, 50 fa- a 55-gallon metal drum. The drums were not that far away from each other, and the police were like, oh, we didn't find the second one, even though it was in the same area, just because we, we didn't know what we were looking for. it." <laughs> but like the first one, two kids just came across it and found it. Now, uh... They believe that all four murders roughly happened around the same time, and according to investigators, it just the deaths were similar too. So they couldn't exactly say what it was. But they knew it was blunt force trauma, just by the way you know the bodies were damaged. So now the adult female was identified as Honey Honey Church and was determined to be Caucasian with Native American ancestry, 23 to 33, curly, wavy brown hair, 5'2 to 5'7". And her teeth had like a lot of dental work, uh, including fillings, extractions, and just like, you know, just normal dental work you get as you get older. The uh, younger girl had also was like a Native American, they determined, and also had like dental work done too. The girl who was found with the adult female in a second drum was also later identified to be between 5 and 11. She has symptoms of anemia, crooked front teeth, and dysthemia, which is just like when your teeth are in front or spread apart. All this comes into a play of how they found out who did it. Because they, they got really into like what they look like, and I fell into a rabbit hole about that too. Uh, the little girl, another child, was uh, between 4'3 and 4'6, with wavy hair and no dental fillings. And uh, the youngest girl, who was McWaters, they found out, was between one and three, long brown hair, between uh, two foot and, like, two six, and also had a gap in her front teeth. So now the reason they got so into detail about, like, the teeth work and stuff like that is because of how they do facial, like, reconstructions. And I'm going to show you <laughs> why. Because, like, you ever see a facial reconstruction and it looks weird to you? Like, really... Un- yeah,
4: uncanny uncanny valley. valley. Really Uncanny <laughs> yeah. Valley. Yeah. So
0: now I was like, why is that? And I, re- I read into it, watched an interview with someone who does it, and they said that they always exaggerate certain facial features. So let's say if you're like, oh, this person has buck teeth. Hmm. We're going to make those teeth really big because if we make them too exact to how they look like, they'll just be generic and no one will like notice who the person is. I guess is. that makes sense. But if you're someone who knows them and you know that they have buck teeth and you see this image of someone with really buck teeth who kind of looks like them, you're going to be like, wait a minute, is that... Blah blah. So that's why every time you see a reconstruction, they look really like a uh, alien wearing a mask. <laughs> I was gonna say, I do I, that. It makes a
3: lot of sense, and I feel bad because I've talked a lot of shit on some of those drawings. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason
0: you are not they're not done well. <laughs> like that doesn't look like a fucking person. <laughs> that's how Who I was too. That? I was like, why does why is the thing? Like, what I'll show you how like the girls look.
4: It's like the difference I between like uh, I, I have both battle the and then his picture behind him. No, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like exactly. that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, to share
0: <laughs> why does? Oh, battle, battle! You disabled share screen. Yeah,
2: did I? Womp womp. Uh. Oh no. Okay, see if that works now. Did I hear? Do you see it? No.
0: Come on. So here's oh, the reconstruction. Oh my- right that is so looks creepy. really uncanny valley and then i'll show you what they actually look like he signed this dog what and here's what they actually look like like normal girls yeah but yeah, yeah so they make
4: like side by side
0: so but yeah so that's why they look kind of uncanny valley. so now back to the case in the early days of the investigation authorities like put out all the information they had and all across the U.S. and some parts of Canada, too, just to, like, try to get any leads. At least 10 possible identities were rolled out, despite hundreds of leads but like, getting out there. And the uh, bodies at that time were not identified. You know, over the course of a couple of years, the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children would continuously update and put out the uh, pictures of the girls just to, like, anybody knew them. And this lasted up until 2015, actually. So now, continuing the investigation, in 2014, police announced that the DNA profiling had revealed that the women, that the woman and the oldest girl, were maternally related, and that just means that they were either mother-daughter, aunt-niece, or sisters. So they were related somehow. So the girls that were found in two separate drums. So the oldest from the first one and the youngest from the second drum were related. Uh, in 2015, the woman was identified to actually be the mother of the two girls found in the second. Other forensic information showed that the women and the child all had lived together somewhere within the northeastern part of the U.S. The same tech that Robert talked about, where they were like, you know, isotopes with the hair and teeth and kind of pinpoint where they lived at, they did the same thing here, exactly. And uh, so they found out they lived in the northeast, and they also found out that they died between like... Two weeks and three months of when they were all found. They all died around the same time or were placed there all around the same time, too. Now, fast forward to January 2017, it was announced that a man named Dennis Boudin, who had been missing since 1981, was somehow connected to the murders. Now, Dennis disappeared in uh, Manchester, Hampshire, and her youngest daughter, I said, a man, sorry, (laughs) is a woman named Denise. And her younger daughter and boyfriend, who name was Robert Evans, had all vanished. Now, Evans later it found out that he just took the girl somewhere and dumped her off. So, like, the mom went missing. The girl was just dumped in the woods by herself by Robert. Uh, that girl was found. And she grew up and, like, lived her own life. It kind of stayed in hiding for a couple years. And they came up later saying, Hey, I'm alive. <laughs> this is I was that girl. But no one had ever heard of Robert. And that's for a pretty good reason. Because Robert was never a real person. Robert was an alias of a man named Terrence Pedro Ramsey. A.K.A. the Chameleon Killer. (gasps) Oh, Yeah. I didn't know know who this dude was. (laughs) So now the Chameleon Killer was just a serial killer who killed between like five and 11 people over like a decade but there could be a lot more crimes out there so now he was his dna was tested and he was the father of the youngest girl found in a drum and people believe that he was connected romantically to the woman also found in a drum and they're trying to piece all this together but the reason they can't get any solid answers and investigate this dude because he actually died in prison under a different name after he was arrested years like back in 2010 for killing his wife at the time he was also married under a different name too so the case kind of all stops there because we just have no way to identify whether the chameleon killer actually also killed these four girls along with the slew of other murders that he did just because he died in prison but basically what I think go ahead Like, everybody has
3: that fear of, like, oh, my God, maybe my partner's, like, a murderer. Or, like, maybe my partner's cheating on me. Or maybe
0: my partner has a whole other
3: family that then they (laughs) murdered.
0: But he didn't only have a whole other family. He had, like, he was dating a bunch of different people. Like, so he was dating Ah. Honey back in 1975. Whatever happened when they went missing, killed her or just, like, whatever. Went off to go date Denise. Same thing happened. Went off and started married someone else. Killed her, and no one just knew because wherever he would go across the U.S., he would just change his name. The, yeah. could
2: you imagine how? It co- what? Never mind. Uh, <laughs> how easy it was to do that back yes. then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like <laughs> to, just, to, just, to just like leave yes. the state like, and then change like, your oh, name. Oh, I just want to change my name. Like commit any crimes I want. I'm gonna change my also, name. Also, You need list. to stop with the cool
3: nicknames for serial killers. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like the <laughs> chameleon killers pretty cool <laughs> but that guy is not yeah no, he's not
4: you call him the poopy pants killer
0: or something <laughs> yeah. that's what i'm talking about the poopy pants unfaithful monster <laughs> killer yeah so what the case is they just really have no concrete evidence mm-hmm. to say like who killed these four women well women and the girls but the best theory to have to the to the chameleon the poopy pants killer <laughs> did it because you know he maybe was trying to get rid of his side family him.
4: which like also like the police saying um yeah we found the the youngest girl is related to both the woman who was found in the drum and this man we're not sure if they romantically Yeah we no, like I don't
0: want I don't want to <laughs> hedge any bets <laughs> yeah. but yeah no that was wow. that was my uh, case and I'm I'm betting that it probably was him who did it and that he just wanted to like oh,
4: yeah
0: start over again that <laughs> was like, i can't be tied down it's with the family fits the modus operandi for sure yeah and he died in prison due to illness like he it wasn't like a, he didn't even get beat up or anything just sadly Jeff, yeah, being a sick fuck
2: <laughs> <laughs> i'm sick <laughs> <string laughs> <is>. come on <laughs> Well, yeah. They call me the Chameleon Killer. <laughs> have you heard of me? <laughs> now you see you me. <laughs> now you don't. Hey. Yo, it's it's sick so sick. I died in prison. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, but that was uh, that's the end of the iceberg. It was it was it was fun getting down here. <laughs> it was a pretty. These were such fun yeah, cases. Yeah, it was, I love. Them. Yeah. I love good. a good dark twist. <laughs> I think my favorite may have been uh, the hotel one.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Because yeah. that's just terrifying. Just, Peak weirdness,
4: especially just because like people kept going in and out of there, and like mm, yeah.
3: there, going There were so many like, like
4: yeah.
3: innocent bystanders involved. Like I, I, I don't know, but the government conspiracy one's probably my. Yeah, favorite. that's good too.
0: Yeah, just because it's uh, man the FBI. But uh, poor Mary, like she was hitting a bottle after that, because <laughs> that's some shit. You earned it. Hard that. to go into
1: more rooms after that. Yeah,
0: I can never be a again. Marry the mate. Back then, they all had such like, what's the word where things the names just rhyme? Can't think of it. But I feel like back then, everyone's name, yeah,
2: anagram, I know?
0: ampersand I don't know.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I just feel like back then everyone's name just kind of rhymed with their last name, which is just great. We should bring that back. But uh, this was fun. Yeah. Had a bunch of fun. Uh, do you want to plug your show again?
1: Sure. Well, first off, thank you guys so much for letting me come on and be awkward. Thank you for being here. We're awkward.
4: It's all, right. we're all, <laughs> all oh, yeah, awkward. we're all awkward. Do not.
1: Have <laughs> okay, good. <guys. laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit of talking, and I felt at home. So, if y'all ever want me to come on again, I will be less awkward then. <laughs> the hell. Is Maybe y'all can come on my show. Next. Yeah, I mean, that'd yeah. be great. But anyway, my show is "Let's Get Dark," and you can find us really just anywhere. Spot- Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. And it, again, it's just creepy stuff, pretty much. Creepy and crappy stuff that you, I want to <laughs> <laughs> talk yeah. about and let people know what's going on in the world.
0: It's a lot more of this. And I hope that like, the Iceberg thing gives you some ideas for episodes because there's a lot of good cases.
1: Yes. I, I, yeah, I I did you know I did research for like four of them, so I'm like
4: I will I can use this for.
0: I gotta put a pen in the.
4: <laughs> uh, that's like the way that I chose my case as I was reading them, and as I was reading them, I was like, "Holy shit! Holy shit! Holy shit! <laughs> so no, this is the one! This is the one!" <laughs> this, this is the worst of the worst. Yeah.
1: I'd like to see like a another one as well for paranormal stuff. Ooh, that yeah. would be cool.
0: Maybe we should uh, make up one.
1: Yeah, we should. <laughs>
0: But yeah, so. I mean, I am done. That's, that's, it, that's it, bam! That's an
1: episode. <laughs> yeah, we don't but, need other people to give us our ideas. It's okay.
0: Orga- yeah, organically <laughs> sorts our true, true crime. <laughs> but yeah, no, this was great. Had a bunch of fun. And uh, yeah, that's it. Peace out. Kisses from the homies. We all love you. Bye.
4: Bye. Bye. Yeah.
0: We are clear. the jungle up in the trees i got a few tricks up in the sleeve one wrong move i'm gonna let out the head out the, let the, out the. Choose, check out the crease blow like i'm big foot step on the beat make a man's run till he step out the crease when the whole place scream gotta get out the i'm lo que tú quieres mi coqueta es lo que te gusta de salir suena
2: My diamond have to glow I know you wanna take me home I'm on my way, on my way. Uh, I don't need your money You can pay me in respect
0: No